Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that I had a miracle cure that would guarantee you and your family living to a ripe old age whilst feeling vigorous, fit and fabulous. Would you be interested? Well, I do. It's called Healthy Living. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. Healthy Living for Families Made Easy. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. I hope that you are feeling amazing. I have amazing news. I saw my mother yesterday for the first time in 15 months. I think that is the longest I have ever been in my entire life without seeing my mother. And she has come to stay, not with us, but near us for a few days. So that is super exciting. And my children are super excited and she is super excited And I have to confess, it feels a little bit sort of bittersweet in terms of it feels very exciting and lovely to see her. But also there is a part of me that just feels a little bit sad that we haven't seen her in the last 15 months. So just sort of sitting with that emotion and allowing it to be there. Now, today I am re-releasing a podcast that we did last year with Dr. Sally Norton talking all about menopause and specifically weight loss. And this is one of the most popular podcasts that we have. And I see so many people who get frustrated with the menopause. Now, there is another podcast which is specifically about the, the menopause. Um, and I will leave a link to that, not specifically about weight loss. So about what happens through the menopause with Dr. Anna Garrett, another really popular um, podcast that everybody really enjoys. And I invite you, I invite you to come and join the Facebook group where we are just having such fun, but not just fun. We're supporting each other and helping each other out. And there are lots of like-minded people there who are also on this journey to healthy living and just keep ticking over there. So please come and join that Facebook group and all the resources that go with it. Okay, let's dive in to Dr. Sally Norton and weight loss and the menopause. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. I'm super excited to welcome Dr. Sally Norton to chat to us about menopause and weight loss. Sally, welcome and thank you for being here. Hi, Orlina. Thanks very much for the invitation to talk. So I just want to dive right in and I hear so many people talk about, oh my goodness, I've reached the menopause and now I've got this weight and I just can't shift it. And a lot of people feel, well, first of all, I think they feel slightly frustrated by this. And first of all, they think there's nothing that they can do about it because it's all fault of the menopause. So I want your help in setting us straight, please. 
Okay, well, um, there's actually, it's quite a controversial issue because there is actually no definitely good evidence that, that the menopause actually causes weight gain. So there are various studies that say that you don't actually put on weight specifically related to the menopause. But we sort of think we know differently. Lots of people complain about weight around the menopause. And the reason is that around the menopause, the drop in estrogen does actually cause a, um, an increase in fat mass in the amount of fat in your body. But at the same time, it can cause a decrease in bone mass and in muscle mass. So um, uh, overall, if in these studies, they didn't show any definite increase in weight. And so that's why some doctors will just poo poo the idea that, you know, if people come to them and say, I'm putting on weight, it's the menopause, they can um, sometimes say, well, you know, it's not actually, there's no real evidence for that. But actually, the problem is the change in fat distribution. So a drop in estrogen can change the way that fat is distributed. And um, we, we see it, don't we, that um, women around the menopause tend to have put on a bit of, of weight around the middle and they complain that their genes are getting tighter and complaining of belly fat. And that's because the drop in estrogen um, causes an increase in the amount of subcutaneous fat, the fat under the skin around the middle, but also fat on the inside. So it's fat that we call visceral fat. It's fat that's in the organs. So, you know, I'm, I'm a surgeon by trade. And when, I, when I'm doing operations, I can see the fat in the liver and the fat in the pancreas that can um, build up in people. And it's that that makes people feel that they're putting on weight as much as anything. And the problem with this change in fat distribution is that even if you don't put on a huge amount of weight, that change in fat distribution is bad for your health. The central um, obesity, the fat around the middle, when you're more of an apple shape than a pear shape, um, that makes you more at risk of metabolic disease, which is a term that we use for things like type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure and fatty liver disease and all sorts of other problems. So that's the sort of um, thing that we're looking at in people around the menopause. So essentially you're saying it is true that some people will put on weight over menopause and that weight can be difficult to shift. Yes. I mean, it's, as I say, it's not necessarily you put on weight as such, but you might put on fat. It's more that the change in distribution that you've got more of a more fat than muscle. Um, and it's that shift in more fat, less muscle that can be a problem. Some people will definitely put on weight. Some people won't, but it's more the weight around the middle that we've got to be worried about. So you might be normal weight, but if you're starting to find that your waistbands are getting a bit tighter, then that's when you need to be a bit more concerned, even if your weight is normal. And so that if you're having that increase in your waistline and your weight is staying the same, that could be because you're losing bone density and yep. compensating for it around the middle. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I mean, you, your weight might be the same, but you, you're accumulating fat and, and the fat, I mean, you can see it if you look at women as they get older, that they've got, tend to have thinner legs and less um, fat on their bottoms, but maybe more around the middle because there's been a change in the distribution. And when you get more fat around the middle, that's, that's what the health, where, where you can start getting more health problems. So yes, if you're, there's a you can do something called the waist to hip ratio, which if people are really interested, they can do themselves. So if you measure your waist with a tape measure and then measure around your hips, around the widest point, basically, 
then that ratio, if you divide your waist measurement by your hip measurement, it should be less than 0.85 for a woman, less than one for a man. So um, there's some sums if people want to do that. I am busy writing notes so I can put this in the show notes (laughs) so that we can remember. So is this all doom and gloom? If you find you're reaching the menopause and you're putting on weight, is it all doom and gloom? Do we need to um, despair or can we find ways of actually sensibly losing this weight? Well, no, we can lose weight. And and I think that that's really important. But I think what we need to understand is that um, the standard approach that most people use, which is pick the latest fad diet off the shelf and summon every ounce of willpower, that is unlikely to work at this stage in life. I mean, not that it ever really works early on, but as we all know, the more times we diet, the more difficult it seems to get. And there's really good reasons behind that. And there are lots of other things that um, it, Lots of things. I think it's I call it a perfect storm in the menopause. So many different things happen that are contributing towards this weight gain that you need to really tackle all those different things to shift the weight back off again. Um, And just picking a diet and trying to stick to it isn't the way forward. So could you walk us through all those components of the perfect storm? Yes, right. So it's, well, I think in terms of why do people gain weight around the menopause, there are loads of things. I mean, first of all, it's part and parcel of aging that we tend to put on about um, one and a half pounds of weight a year. But women do that. Men do that as well. So it's not just the female menopause that um, creates that weight gain, which happens most around the sort of 50s and 60s. So we tend to put on weight naturally um, every year anyway, just because of aging. And then there's the hormonal changes from the menopause that I mentioned with the drop in estrogen. But other hormones come into play as well. And we can talk about those. I know you've had um, a lot of hormonal talks on previous podcasts, but I'm happy to go through some of that, too. Yes, um, we love hormones. I love understanding hormones. I think they're really fascinating. <laughs> they are. They are. They're completely fascinating. But then there's other things. There's... Um, You know, there's a lot of psychological stuff that goes on around this time, a sort of midlife crisis. Maybe the kids are leaving home. You've got a bit of empty nesting going on. You suddenly find that you've got to re-engage with your husband and maybe he's not all you thought he was. And, you know, there's loads of other (laughs) careers maybe going up or down or stress. You know, know, lots of things going on all at that time that all come together, I think, to create that perfect storm. And then the other thing is, Things like um, losing muscle, um, There's uh, we lose muscle at a, a rate of around 8% per decade after the age of 40. So as we're losing muscle, that's reducing our metabolism, it's reducing our ability to burn energy. So we naturally, our metabolic rate drops down. Um, so that's another factor that comes into play. And then years and years of yo-yo dieting are catching up on us. And I can talk for forever about the yo-yo dieting and why it's bad for us. But all of those things are coming together. And then we think that we can fix it all by just going on a fad diet. I mean, clearly, that's not going to work. We need to be addressing all those different areas. Do you want to quickly mention the other hormones before we move on to fixes? <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, there's loads of hormones that are involved in weight control. So, um, I mean, the thi- your thyroid hormone is the obvious one that a lot of people think about when they're thinking about weight gain. And we know that women, as they go through middle age, um, are more prone to getting um, something called autoimmune thyroiditis or Hashimoto's, 
Um, it's still not that common. It's only about one in a hundred, but it is more common in the middle age. And there are some studies that are showing that women's hormones. Um, thyroid hormones may be even if they're at the upper end or lower end of normal they they, they're still um, not as good as they could be and maybe we should be tweaking our thyroid hormones a little more or looking more carefully at what normal is for women at this time of life Um, and there is evidence too that yo-yo dieting affects our thyroid hormones and um, so we might be doing ourselves a lot of harm by constantly yo-yo dieting on that front so that's one area um, and then cortisol, um, which is the sort of stress hormone, it it affects um, it affects the way that we that we manage our energy, our, our sugar, and it can lead to something called insulin resistance, where we don't um, manage our blood sugar very well, and it can contribute to weight gain. So, as as you know, as a doctor, and all all doctors will know that there's a condition where you have high cortisol. Um, produced by the adrenal glands and that leads to weight gain around the middle and it leads to things like diabetes and other and other things and and so that's definitely associated with weight at this time of life because there's good evidence that the change in estrogen um, can also lead to a rise in cortisol so you know that's another one and then gut hormones well i could talk forever on gut hormones um they don't change so much in middle age but they are affected by the way that we sleep and the way that we eat and and um the way that we exercise and our gut bacteria all those sorts of things can link in too uh what other hormones can i talk about um that's probably enough for now but yes there's loads that that are affected and we're only just starting to work out how many are actually involved in in weight gain i suppose actually the big hormone the one that that really i think has got a big part to play particularly around middle age is insulin and um and how we eat affects how much insulin we produce and that insulin is basically a fat storage hormone so the more insulin we have on board the more we're likely to store fat Yes. Yes. Okay. So we've, I've covered those in different, um, episodes as well, and I'll leave links in the show notes to those. So how are we going to manage this weight gain from a nice all round lifestyle and feeling fit and fabulous, um, way? Well, I think the first thing that we need to think about is, you know, I, th- I find it absolutely fascinating. Years and years of sitting in clinic, listening to people who, you know, as a as a former weight loss surgeon for 15 years, I listened to thousands of women talking about how they've been on countless diets and they still couldn't lose the weight, even though they were had so many illnesses. Some some women have been told that they would be dead within a year if they couldn't lose weight because they had so many illnesses and yet they still couldn't do it. And these were women who were so capable in other areas of their lives and just couldn't lose weight despite every diet under the sun. And, you know, they might have lost six stone with lighter life or three stone with Weight Watchers or two stone with Slimming World or whatever it was, but the weight went straight back on and more. And they were in despair. And, you know, it just seemed that they were just battling all the time. Every morning they'd get up and it was just a fight. How on earth could they control their weight? And it just made me think, really, that actually our bodies are incredible. Our bodies are absolutely finely tuned to control so many aspects of our physiology, the way that everything works in our body. So, for example, your body temperature 
barely fluctuates by a degree. A normal body temperature is 37 degrees, and if it drops by more than one or two degrees or goes up by more than a, a few or half a degree, we, we realise there's a problem. Um, the acidity, the level of acid in our blood is very carefully controlled. The amount of oxygen in our blood is all carefully controlled, but we don't have to think about it. We don't have to get up in the morning and say, oh, my goodness, how am I going to control this today, you know, and fight with our bodies to try and control it. And our weight should be the same. You know, it just it, it's crazy that our our energy control isn't the same as all these other systems in our body. But in fact, it is, because if you look at animals, if you look at kids before McDonald's and Coke get their claws into them, then our energy control is perfectly balanced. Our body controls it without us having to think about it. We don't have to worry about our weight or animals don't worry about their weight. Young kids don't worry about it. So we need to get back in tune with with all of that. There's loads and loads and loads of complex interconnecting mechanisms in the body that allow us to control our weight if we just let them. Um, and we wouldn't have to think about it. So my sort of ethos and, and the way that I deal with women who are trying to lose weight is to try and tweak back all those different areas so that it's not a battle anymore because none of us want to be waking up every morning worrying about what we're going to eat that day or not eat that day. And we need to get it back so that we can start living our lives again <laughs> without worrying about our weight and just you know have a have a great time and and do all the things that we want to do rather than wasting all that time and energy battling with um weight control and so tweaking those things are there things that people can do before they go and see a doctor or do they need to go and see a doctor to tweak those things no these are all basic lifestyle things but you know it's what is so interesting because i i read all the scientific studies on a, on weight control every day. I mean, I, there's always a new study. And it's fascinating to me how many of these seemingly trivial things that we're now doing have actually got a huge amount of science behind them that shows why they're scuppering all of these natural mechanisms that control our weight. You know, things that, that are just very basic lifestyle changes that everybody could be making could make a huge difference to how we manage it and the but the key is that rather than thinking right I'm going to go on a diet I'm going to do this for four weeks I'm going to lose the weight it's actually just lots and lots of little tweaks and little changes that will add up and become effortless and subconscious Um, and it's things that you know we we all know we should do, but we don't actually do them, partly because I think we don't really understand how vital they are and what a huge difference they make if we were to actually focus on them. And that's what I find so frustrating um, is that something as simple as sleep, for example, a really good night's sleep makes a massive difference to the hormones in our gut and how they control our appetite. It makes a huge difference to how much um, if we're trying to lose weight, whether we're burning, um, whether we're breaking down muscle or whether we're breaking down fat. If you have a good night's sleep and you're on a diet, you're more likely to preserve your muscle. Um, And that's really important. Um, You know, a good night's sleep. If you if you have a if you have a bad night's sleep, your cortisol level will be up by 40 percent after a bad night's sleep. And that is is making it much more difficult for you to burn off fat during the day. So there's countless little um, 
or seemingly little factors that that make something like sleep so vitally important. And I would say to anybody that I'm um, managing with their weight, first thing you need to do is just really focus on that sleep. Because unless you can get that sorted, you're you're wasting your time trying to do anything else. It is one of my four pillars. <laughs> yeah, it's so important. But what we, what I think, what a lot of women don't realise is that when you're perimenopausal, um, you have a disturbed night's sleep anyway. I mean, hot flushes and everything like that is going to be a problem for some women, not for everybody. But also during the night you have lots of tiny, tiny little periods of waking up that you're not really aware of that um, you might get to the end of the night and think, well, I've had seven, eight hours sleep. Why do I feel so rubbish? And it's because you've actually been waking up countless tiny little times during the night. And that becomes more pronounced during the menopause. I'm sighing because I've got that to look forward to. (laughs) Well, you see, the, the thing is that, you know, I'm having you know, spoken to so many different women about things like HRT. I mean, not, I'm not an HRT expert, but when when the menopause or the perimenopause is approaching, not even actually getting to the menopause, but once you start getting all the hot flushes and everything like that, it's definitely worth considering HRT. And a lot of doctors are very nervous about it because they think it increases your risk of breast cancer or heart disease or other problems. But actually, if your weight is going up and you're struggling to control your weight and you're getting bad sleep, then that increases your risk of all of these things as well. Um, So, you know, you do need to think about that when you're having a discussion with your doctor about HRT, because a good, um, sensible use of HRT can make your sleep better, can make your weight much easier to control and and um, reduce the risk of health problems from that point of view. Okay. Okay. So sleep is one of your big tip, tips. Have you got any other actionable item items that we can start implementing, you know, easy things that we can do? Well, I think that during the perimenopause and sort of, you know, that as you start creeping up towards that, as I said, cortisol can become more of an issue. And um, that uh, leads to, as I said, the weight gain around the middle and more, um, fat in the organs and a more tendency towards diabetes and that sort of thing. And that um, that means that at this time of life, you need to be trying to cut back on carbohydrates, in my view. That is a sort of, you know, some people are, are very good at managing carbohydrates, but two thirds of us are pre-diabetic and not so good at managing our carbohydrates. And that's more of a pronounced problem around the menopause as the cortisol issue comes in as well. So I think that we need to be reducing the amount of carbohydrates we eat. um, And you can get... Can I just just pause there? When you say carbohydrates, do you mean specifically refined carbohydrates as opposed to vegetables, which are carbohydrates, but not refined? Yeah, no, I mean, um, I mean, definitely reduce or even cut out completely refined carbohydrates so if you can cut out sugar fantastic if you can um, cut right back on it yes that will definitely help and then cut out and all the refined carbohydrates the bread and the biscuits and the that sort of thing I know um, that unrefined carbohydrates whole grains and things have got a, a place in in a good healthy diet but we can have much smaller quantities of it than than a lot of dietitians would have us believe that we need to be piling half of our plate with sort of 
whole grain something or others. And you can, as you say, you can get plenty of carbohydrates from vegetables. And, and personally, I think that, you know, just having vegetables is more than enough in terms of carbohydrates. And you can get all the fiber that you need as well from, from vegetables, maybe a few pulses and things as well. Um, and focus on having a, a much smaller amount of carbohydrates, but making sure you pull in a lot more of the healthy fats. And then because the reason for that is it allows your insulin to drop and it allows if unless your insulin drops, then you can't burn fat. Um, you're not able to access your fat to burn. And that and if you can't access your fat to burn and make up your calorie deficit, then you're going to feel hungry. Um, and that's a lot of re reason why women um, end up failing on a diet because they're just feeling hungry all the time. That's because they're not being able to access their fat stores. Um, so, yes, I think that we we need to be cutting down on the carbohydrates, but at the same time, also narrowing our eating window, which I'm sure you've probably talked about on your podcast before. That's another really important thing to do. And because of the whole insulin resistance type component to to the way that we're struggling with our weight, we need to keep that eating window fairly early. So not eat too late at night try and keep our eating to the, the middle of the day if we possibly can or not too far away from that. That is something that I find British people do very well. Here in Spain, people are crazy and they eat their dinner at 10 o'clock at night time and then yes. they go to bed really late. And yes. and I look at all the studies that they did, or the big study, the PREDIMED study that they did, specifically looking at the Mediterranean-style diet, which is essentially yeah. what you're talking about. And it was done here in Spain where they don't get any sleep <laughs> Yes, yes, <laughs> I know. Yes, I know, I know. It's, it's all a bit crazy. I guess, you know, you, it's horses for courses, really, and different people are adapted to um, to function well with different diets. But I know that, you know, um, the Mediterranean diet, when done properly, is effective. But I'm sure you see in Spain there's plenty of people who are overweight um, out there. I've, I've been on... Um, I've met lots of weight loss surgeons out in Spain, so it's certainly an issue out there as well. So there's good Mediterranean eating and there's not so good Mediterranean eating. Yes, exactly. I don't think people in um, Spain particularly do Mediterranean. I mean, there is still there. If you look at the culture, they eat in a more Mediterranean style way, but that doesn't mean that it's exclusively Mediterranean. There's definitely no. more processed foods coming through. And, exactly. you know, of course, there are overweight people in Spain. Yeah, do you have any other oh what I was going to ask you was do you recommend a particular not eating window so I would recommend 12 to 14 hours do you recommend more than that Well there is evidence that that um longer windows of not eating can be even more beneficial but it's 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 got to be done um in a staged way I think because if you eat in a if you if you're basically fasting yourself so that you're feeling uncomfortable and you're feeling hungry and stressed by it, then it's going to be counterproductive because there's evidence that it can raise your cortisol and, and create a stress type response in the body. So it has to be done gradually. And the thing about eating, um, not snacking all the time um, and eating fewer carbs and having more proteins and healthy fats means that you don't need to eat as often and you will naturally find that you're eating less frequently. And I think that's a much better way to go. So for the women that I work with, I would start them off by having plenty of healthy fats and um, 
and uh, proteins and avoiding too many carbs and not snacking between meals, which they find they can do very easily on that sort of eating plan. And then as they get more and more comfortable with that, we can extend their eating window gradually and just, you know, build up to something that works for them. And I think it it's good to vary it as well, because, you know, if I'm at work all day, I just don't eat because it's easy not to bother eating at work. I don't have to go and find some try to find some healthy lunch in a hospital, which is really difficult to find, <laughs> which is terrible, isn't it? You can't find a healthy lunch in a hospital. So I tend to not eat during the day and then eat when I get home. Um, but then on another day, if I'm not in the hospital, then I'll eat in a different way. So I think it's quite good to mix it up as well. Okay, fabulous. Any last tips that you have for us? Um, well, the other thing that I think a lot of women do is, or certainly various women that I've worked with, is that they think that they can burn off calories just by excessive exercise and you know that people could go one way or the other often can't they either doing doing nothing or doing too much but there's good evidence that if you go for it too aggressively trying to burn off all those calories you can you actually you won't really succeed to be honest because you just make yourself more hungry but um you can also raise your cortisol as well because you're putting your body under stress and so then you're reducing the benefit of that exercise so what I say to women is the best thing to do is to think of exercise as a tool to help you build your muscles so that you can burn more energy um, that way and, and not lose as much muscle as you're dieting. Use exercise to de-stress so that you can lower your cortisol. Use exercise to boost your brown fat. So get out in the cold. Brown fat is a sort of fat that burns energy rather than stores it. And you can build it up by exercising in the cold. So get out there. Not sure how much cold weather you get in Spain, but there's plenty in the UK. Um, so use exercise for specific reasons other than burning calories because it doesn't work too well just for that. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I think the other thing is, if you start right at the beginning thinking, I'm going to change my diet, and I'm going to change this, and I'm going to change that, and I'm going yeah. to do all this exercise, then you're basically overloading your willpower, and your willpower goes, yeah. plop, I can't do this. So you're better off making changes, sustainable changes. So, you know, fixing your diet, and then adding in exercise. And I always think that exercise is the key to feeling fit and fabulous, rather than yeah. the key to weight loss. Yeah. Absolutely. Getting toned, feeling positive. There's evidence that even just 10 minutes of exercise can boost your self-esteem that make just makes you feel more body confident. And that in itself can then make you stronger to, in other decisions throughout the day. So, you know, there's no no amount of exercise is too small to have a benefit of, of some sort. And I think that's what women have to think about is, you know, you might be feeling a bit low and miserable and, and not very positive today, but just get out and do something for 10 minutes and you'll you'll feel better. So that's worthwhile. And then um, and then the last, well, I could talk forever on all the different tweaks you could make. But um, obviously looking after your gut bacteria is another one, because um, in years of weight loss surgery, we did a lot of studying around the changes in gut bacteria that occur as a result of surgery. And there's a lot of interest in that. But certainly having more um, probiotics, sort of fermented foods, kefir, live yogurt, sauerkraut, all the old fashioned foods, that's all very good for your for your um, your gut. And that can help. It's, it's amazing how our gut bacteria can talk to our brain through this special um, nerve system that goes through our guts 
there's evidence that it can help influence our behavior having a healthy lot of gut bacteria so all that's very important too and what's very interesting is that when I talk to women who um, I'm trying to encourage them to reduce sugar um, they want to know about artificial sweeteners but I'm sure you saw the study not long ago where um, a lot of artificial sweeteners are toxic to our gut bacteria um, and that's a worry, isn't it? Because certainly in the UK with the sugar tax, um, a lot of manufacturers are just simply replacing all the sugar with artificial sweeteners. And I don't think that's going to do us any good in the long run. So that's another another thing to look out for. <laughs> yes, I read another study. I can't remember where it was. And they were saying that actually with people who had the artificial sweeteners, they ended up eating more. And yes. the reason was they thought because they still are craving that sweet taste, which yeah. they haven't really had that satisfied my yeah. Energy is energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I know. So actually, people don't end up losing weight by having, you know, artificially sweetened drinks and things. And, and that's one of the reasons too. Yeah. It's all very complicated. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. Where Pleasure. can people find you and your online home? Um, well, I've got a website that I try and um, I try and get on when I can, but it is quite busy in the NHS. So my website is... Um, www.drsallynorton.com and my um i've got a facebook page and instagram and twitter with the same handle dr sally norton um that i try and get on when i can but again i apologize i'm I'm quite busy so (laughs) i don't get on there as, as often as i'd like but i try and post things when i can fabulous sally thank you so much for recording this with us lovely to talk to you There you go. A big thank you to Dr. Sally Norton. I have to confess, I really love it when I find somebody who agrees with everything I have to say. And I really feel that I resonated with everything that she said and agree with her wholeheartedly. And I know that it can be difficult in the world of nutrition and the world of healthcare and wellness that not everybody always agrees with everything. So it is fabulous to find someone who does agree with me entirely, 100%. So remember, if you want to find out more about Dr. Sally Norton, her website is drsallynorton.com. And remember to come and join us in the Facebook group. I will leave the link in the show notes. And if you are feeling I am ready to take action, I am ready to transform my life and I would like some help, then I invite you to book your your roadmap to Healthy You Chat, a 30 minute chat where you get clarity on your steps going forwards and what's blocking you and how you can move forwards. You can book a complimentary 30 minute chat with me. Again, I'll leave the link in the show notes. Have a fabulous week and I will see you next week. Goodbye.